Welcome to the Nix, where we talk about pop culture until we can't stand it anymore, and we nix it. I'm Justin Hartung. And I'm Fanny Darling. As always, a quick warning, there might be spoilers for anything we talk about on this podcast, but we always do our best to let you know that they're coming. This episode, we'll be reviewing the new Netflix adaptation of the famous play Boys in the Band, starring Jim Parsons as a gay guy who never once says bazinga after saying something shady. Okay, just a plea as usual to rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app, Podchaser, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you can do such things. Uh, Those may be new words I learned this week. I'm like, um, now I know what you were muttering about during prep. I'm like, it was just like you just started randomly going, what's Podchaser? Like like you had Tourette's of the podcast app variety. It was weird. Podcast Tourette's is a real thing. So yeah. Anyways, our main topic this week we are going to dive right into is Boys in the Band. It is uh, Joseph Montello is the director. He's adapting his recent revival of the famous 1968 play. Uh, This is on Netflix, but it had previously been adapted into a movie in 1970 by William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist, which is kind of crazy. Uh, The plot, it's basically set over one night at a New York City birthday party attended by a group of gay male friends. Things go off the rails when an old college roommate of the host shows up with questionable motives, uh, basically triggering everybody, everybody to become like the worst possible versions of themselves. Uh, He's like cast, human cocaine. He really is human cocaine. That's <laughs> spot on. Uh, in the cast, Jim Parsons, Zachary Quinto, Andrew Rennells, a couple other people you've seen and heard of. Uh, Ryan Murphy, who we talk about a lot, weirdly, on this podcast, is a producer. Um, according to Wikipedia, the title comes from a line that was said to Judy Garland in A Star is Born. You're singing for yourself and the boys in the band. Um, that was my James Mason impression, apparently. Not very good. Um, we're going to go full spoilers on this one because it's a very old play. It's and been it's around since 1968. Made into now two movies. <laughs> what did you think of this yeah. movie? Um, I think, first off, I think we talk about Ryan uh, Murphy a lot because he's super ubiquitous right now, just so we're fair. So really that's is. why he doesn't go. He's like a fungus. You can't. He gets everywhere and all and all the nooks and the crannies and tries all of the genres. What and that should tell you kind of what I thought about this movie <laughs> because I started talking about Ryan Murphy and anything else and I made a dumb joke. Um, my first thought about this movie was why is it so long? Oh, it's so long because we're going to have really loving shots of people smoking cigarettes and combing their hair. Um. <clears throat> I didn't like this. I I wasn't a huge fan. I found it to be, I don't know, mostly just uninspired and somewhat drawn out and boring. There were parts that I liked and that did draw me in despite myself. Um, Yeah. What was your initial reaction? Because lots of my other stuff is sort of like... uh, Spoiler-ish, so if people want to just hear our initial reactions and then jump to the end of the podcast. Sure. Yeah. Um, As somebody who's, you know, I've seen the original movie. Um, I probably saw the original movie right when I 
you know, very close to when I came out in the you know early nineties, um, you know, didn't know much about it. Had heard about it sort of being like a legendary kind of campy thing. It's so interesting that it, at that time, it was considered a very kind of regressive, you know, this is the time of basically like the birdcage and Philadelphia and things that basically, if you're going to portray gay people, you had to make them at least sympathetic. And I think what was definitely bracing about seeing that movie for the first time and, and horrifying in the nineties was like, Oh wow. These are not sympathetic people. These are mostly monsters. Um, and at the time, I really hated that first movie and was like, oh, God, like I've been worried that the world would see me as a monster when I came out. And this movie is doing nothing to sort of ease that trauma. So it was interesting watching uh, this adaptation, which is pretty damn close. At least I haven't seen the play, but it's pretty damn close to the uh, 1970 film. Um so I, you know, I, I have, I have thoughts. We'll get into them in spoilers. Um, I, I don't know why it's being made exactly. I think is my first question. Like, what, what does this add to the conversation? It is a kind of timepiece, um, and yet I'm also I can't totally dismiss it because I think it really does get at um, kind of the how people turn oppression on their own community. I mean, that's, I think in a nutshell, what's it, you know, what it's about. Um, And it, now that I'm a little older and a little further away from kind of all of that, I feel like I can see that and take that in a little more and see that it's a, was a kind of crazy revolutionary play to be written in that year. But at the same time, it's like, why now? Like what, what, like, I just don't know what this is. Yeah. Why are we doing it now? Yeah. Yeah. They didn't, seem to tweak any of it or update it. And and part of that is, okay, it's set in 68. So they didn't want to have that, you know, mad men type of we're progressive, we're, we're changing the truth of it, that people weren't really like that, you know, and uh, the sort of fantasy of it or altering of what, it would have really been like. Um, but then why do we need it? Yeah. Um, I just, the dog was cute. I recognized <laughs> the bar from, can you ever forgive me? So I do listen to you. Uh- <laughs> right. I mean, interestingly talk about a simpler kind of story that I feel like has a distance on that, on that same kind of themes in a lot of ways. Right. Um, it, but sort of, I don't know, I found that movie had obviously a lot more to say than this did. Okay, should we get into, like, the nuts and bolts of this a little more? Yeah, sure, let's do that. Um, I mean, aside from the fact that the dialogue was super stilted. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that it's such a problem with some making something that doesn't feel play-like when it's just... I think it was quite obvious that they just took the script straight from the play. And Parsons is good, but you can still tell this is this is stage dialogue. This is, yeah. you know, to be given to an audience, to feel the audience give back to you as you're saying it. And it just, it doesn't play. Um, I, How about Zachary Quinto doing those weird, like, 
whatever, whatever, oh. pig. Like, it's so stagey and just, it's like, what planet are you beaming in and, from? You know, he practically had on stage makeup. He definitely had on stage costume. It was, you know, it was to play, that that wig was to play to the cheap seats. Uh, <laughs> you know, it just, I, I... I don't know. Um, I wrote this down and then shortly after, you'll have to tell, I made a note that said, this is the queer who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Um, there's a scene in the, the the movie where, okay, so it's Zachary Quinto's character's birthday and one of his friends brings him a, a male hustler for the night. And this poor young man shows up early because he's hurt his back and he wants to, you know, make his money and go home. And so he is stuck listening to these men snipe at each other performatively for hours and they shoot his face at one point where you can just tell he has no idea why he's still sitting there or what he's stumbled onto and he's thinking about giving a refund and i just wrote down this is the queer who's afraid of virginia wolf and he might actually be our audience surrogate <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I just, when it got into the phone calls and the the meat of the story, there were a couple of scenes that still got me. And I think that was kind of on the strength of the actors and the way that they, particularly Rannells and his boyfriend, uh, and then the interaction with the college roommate with the, between the three of them was a real i i thought and then very sweet between like the the interplay between this man who says he's bisexual but has left his wife for for a man and the straight guy who sees him as the one person that he can you know latch onto and feel normal even though he has his own issues um and then i felt that was very real and then very sweet when rannells and and the boyfriend kind of have their come to their relationship comes to a head about what they're what they want to do with the rest of their although that same time, time you're go. like are you really that couple that goes to like bone down in the room at the party yeah no th- th- that wasn't necessary <laughs> exactly but um but then it even then with the phone conversations and the flashbacks it all still felt like it there didn't feel real it really just felt super performative and I, what were your thoughts <laughs> i mean i that i think the last thing you said just really nailed it for me i, I sort of right in the beginning i was like i don't believe that these people are friends and i think in yeah. the first one as as much as i remember it it's been a long time since i've seen it there was a sense of like nobody is out it's really hard to meet gay people these are the gay people that you know that are just in your sphere and sort of think it, you know, it's interesting seeing this now from a perspective of like, Oh, you would actually, you know, right. You can be friends with whoever you want. Exactly. And something about this version though, didn't, I didn't get that sense. It, it did feel a little costumey and performative of even like 1968 gayness in that way that didn't feel real to me at all. Um, it uh, was funny, sort of, in Ish. a kind of campy way of, like, sniping and whatever. Um, but it's, 
I think it's here's where I want to get into the Ryan Murphy thing a little bit is like, I think he's attracted to this as a producer because oh, I think it he, was so formative for him when it comes to like camp and snipery. And, and he loves that with the cute mean girl. He's always, he acts like it's bad, but he uses it so much that I think he actually kind of like, maybe he was picked on. So he kind of likes it putting himself in that role. Totally and agree. That, and it, it starts to feel a little like grow up a little bit. Like Yeah, is, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah. especially right now in the way the world is, I don't want to sit for two hours with people being really mean to each other and then you know, kissing and making up sort of and you know, everything will be okay tomorrow. Yeah. And it just everything isn't necessarily gonna be okay tomorrow for us, and so I don't wanna spend two hours in this sort of meanness. Yeah. Because it's all that these people have. Yeah, and I don't know what any of it really added to the conversation. Um, I think yeah. the some of the racial stuff was a little more kind of fleshed out in this. I liked I, that scene. Yeah. yeah, I thought there was some good stuff in that. The phone calls, um, you know, really, I think, in this version, played that all out a little more, as far as I remember. Um, but at the same time, it's sort of like, yeah, we're all punching bags to each other. We all know that. Right. Like, what else do you have to say? <laughs> um, yep. But the, I don't know. It did, I guess, if nothing else, it, for me, it did make me appreciate kind of, you know, the history of, of, of the play and sort of the revolutionary sort of aspects of the play and what it was trying to do. Because there was really, I mean, think about it. From that point, there were so few a story is centered on gay characters like this. I mean, it was just crazy just for that fact. And like William Friedkin, who was like, you know, big director at that point. Um, right. Maybe, maybe, I guess it was pre-Exorcist, but, um, you know, right. still obviously a pretty high profile director. And really taking that risk of I'm going to fight against positive representation. We are nightmares to each other because society is a nightmare to us. And I think right. that really something I could hear more now. And maybe that's, maybe that's what yeah, the, you know, the it producers was, and directors were trying to sort of get at with this, but. It was interesting. Parker went, came home when I had kind of first started it and he was watching it with me a little bit and, and he went upstairs and then he came back down four or five minutes later and sat down on the couch and continued to watch it. And I like was worried it was going to make him like, it was going to hurt his feelings. Cause you had said it kind of, you know, what had been somewhat traumatic for you when you saw the 68 version. And I said, are, are you enjoying this? And he's like, actually I kind of am. And he was like, mom, look, it's for us. And for my generation, this, the self-hating is more, we're taking it back. And, and, and it, for him, it's not, it didn't feel so traumatic that way. And he hasn't had to, you know, Parker hasn't been, particularly closeted he might not have known who he you know he might not have known himself what was going on but when he was working stuff out he was able to always be pretty open at least in his home about it yeah so this so watching this felt almost like a little bit of reclaiming to him which was very interesting to hear him say that and i was quite relieved a to hear him say it and b to hear him say that it didn't hurt his feelings to watch it you know right right so I found yeah, that interesting. Totally. Any final thoughts on like performances or I don't know. It's um, such a... Andrew Rennells is uh, 42 years old. <laughs> I, I, I was surprised when you texted that. Do you think he looks 
older or younger? I, I think he looks younger. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I would have thought he was late thirties, you know, um, and the seventies is a very good look on him. <laughs> and here's the thing about Reynolds. I think I always picture him to be sort of a Ryan Murphy caddy person. And the more that I see him, a, he's got a very sweet face and B he has a very sweet voice. And I, I'm always surprised that he seems like a really nice guy. So I have this sort of affection for him because of that, because I expect him to be this catty, pretty, you know, gay man that would, wouldn't talk to me. You know? <laughs> and instead he always feels super approachable in, and I think that's just his own self radiating, you know, because he often plays a sort of catty character and yet they feel accessible. And I, yeah, I like and it's that. It's not a great, him. this is not a great role. And I think he did. The no, it's not with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree with that. But that's my point is he could have been the caddy. I'm not going to be monogamous. I'm with the older guy guy. And even then he managed to make it feel sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even maybe even despite himself, he might not have wanted to. <laughs> what did you think of Parsons? I, I stand by, I have said this since, you know, I didn't watch a lot of Big Bang Theory, but in all, you know, in Hidden Figures and all the other things that I have seen him in, I think that Parsons is a good actor. And I think he was good in this, despite the fact that he kind of had, okay, Quinto had the most, you know, I should have taken one thing off before I walked in this room performance. But Parsons really had the most like Broadway, I'm saying the dialogue per performance. And in spite of that, I still thought he was very good. Yeah, so, it's funny. He's like, a good actor. It, 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 he definitely, uh, you know, it's my joke up top made clear. It's like, to me, he always, part of it's just that voice. He always just sort of yeah. operates in the kind of same sphere or whatever he does. Um, he's always going to feel like Sheldon a little bit. But the nuances that he's kind of explored in Sheldon, I, I think, are sort of interesting. And the fact that he's sort of been able to extend that, is, yeah. that speaks to his credit. Because I think he's exploring kind of the shades of what that character originally was. So I enjoyed right. that. I really wanted to call out uh, Robin de Jesus um, as Emery. I thought he was fantastic. Um, and going back and watching a little bit of the, uh, the early one, I don't know. And I don't, I did need to read the play, but basically I don't remember that character being like Latino. Um, and they really played that up in this one. And I thought that was nice and interesting. And his dynamic with, uh, you know, the black character who's the actor I'm forgetting. Um, but I thought that was all very, I thought that was some of the best stuff in the show. It was very well done. I yeah. really liked his honest apology for, I, I have done this to you. And, and you know, um, as, as the character said, you you know, I've been your Uncle Tom because I need a friend so bad. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and how that hit home with the character and he really heard it. And he said, I'm never going to say any of that stuff to you again. And I'm so sorry. Yeah. And I, I liked that. Yeah, I thought that was a good scene. All and, right, and you could feel it from that actor. Totally, he was just good and funny, and the way he kind of had the most at stake when he challenged, you know, the the, yeah. the visiting roommate. I thought that was all very yeah. He well was done. the littlest and the swishiest, yeah. and you know, yeah. So, all right, are we yep. ready to introduce our ratings? Sure, let's do it. Okay, we got something new for you guys. We're shaking it up. Once again, the Knicks never get comfortable here. Um, we are starting a rating system um, where anything, we're going to lay out some rules here, anything that we are reviewing as our main topic, whether that is a 
pilot of a show or a movie or a whole season of a show, uh, we are going to offer a rating. Uh, this is very specific to us and pretty much on brand, I'd say. From uh, worst to best, the ratings are Nick's, not for me, nice, or incredible. Get it, guys? We yeah. really into the end theme. We're working on that, that, that superlative. If you have thoughts, let us know um, on Twitter or Facebook, because we could probably do better than that, but that's what we're working with for now. Um, and, you know, this is something that, uh, yeah, we're going to try and see how it goes, and you can shout at us later when, at the end of the year, we're, like, suddenly praising things that we nixed or vice versa. So, um, so all that said, Fanny, what rating do you give Boys in the Band? Can I give it a not for me point five? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going all the way to nice. So if I have to settle on one, this was not for me. Yeah, you. Um, that's funny. I, I kind of feel the same way. Maybe this is a flaw in our rating system already. It's like somewhere in between there. It's like not for me because I just didn't get anything kind of new out of it, but I wouldn't call okay. it nice. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. When so. I was a younger person and, and and I would go out on dates, I had a couple of questions that I asked. And one very important one was my own private Idaho classic or worthless piece of trash and you can't choose in between you have to choose one or the other and it's a very this is an important question for you to answer because i'm either walking out or you get another date um (laughs) so you had to commit so we can't go in between you have to commit i'm saying not for me i'm saying not for me also okay (laughs) it's very it's gonna be our evasive favorite i think but yes uh, yeah these ratings may be revised as we go along we'd love to hear your thoughts as we said yes Uh, all right let's move on to we did what you saw there are i still really like that i'm proud of that (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna basically talk about what we've been doing since the last time we recorded so what have you been up to pop culture wise I watched all of Utopia. It's funny because here's the thing, Justin. <laughs> I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this. This is totally for me. I heard it's gory. I'm not watching it. Remember how we talked about this? Yeah, this happens <laughs> this, all the this, time. This happens all the time. And then I watch it all and I say, Justin, don't watch this. Now in two months when he watches it and he's like, good God, why is it so gory? This is sadistic. What the hell is wrong with these people? And I say, I told you not to watch it. <laughs> I actually, the violence is super icky and it would be hard for you to avoid it, but I would be interested to hear what you thought about everything as a whole. Um, this, uh, this is an adaptation of a UK series that has actually never streamed anywhere legally in the United States. I saw two or three episodes of it pretty early on and I can't remember who showed them to me or, but I really loved it and I'd always wished I could, there's like three seasons, I think. And I'd always wished that I was brave enough to know how to download things on the internet, but I'm stupid. Is the UK one as gory? It wasn't. Um, It was more, it was kind of slicker in a weird way. This is very slick, but also kind of dirty. And uh, Stephen Ray is the John Cusack type character. I love Stephen Ray. I'm going to watch the UK one. (laughs) Yeah. So you download it and then we'll watch it together. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> Cause you, or tell me how to do it. Cause I'm afraid. Um, 
because I'm sure I'm just going to blow something up, you know, like I'll press it and it'll turn into war games and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) thermonuclear war will happen and I'll have to play tic-tac-toe for hours and I don't want to do that. (laughs) Uh, So this started, I think, like two or three years ago, they tried to start this, uh, the American version of this, and it was originally in David Fincher's hands. Now, we talked about Fincher last week. I understand why he makes sense with this film in a very, um, you know, fight clubby way. But uh, he finally fell off and they handed it off to Gillian Flynn. Gillian Flynn, who wrote, uh, who writes sort of like people think they're really smart novels. I read them. They're they're not really smart novels. They're compulsively readable and they're about very broken, dark people. And they've all been Gone Girl, uh, Sharp Objects. And I don't remember the other one, something about dark, my dark places. Nope, that's John, that's Elroy's thing about his dead mom. Anyway, it's something about dark and things like that. I've read them all. They're super page turning. I just don't see her as this like literature maven of the dark. But I do understand her in this role as sort of showrunner, producer, uh, writer. It uh, because it has a lot of dark things in it. Um, I don't know that this was the time for this. This um, spoilers here: one Jared Kushner lookalike, John Kuzak, John Kuzaking it up, and the kid from Cougar Town having sex. You've been warned, okay? <laughs> so the conspiracy theory here is that. John Cusack as the benevolent uh, hippie gone bad, now a billionaire trying to save the world by sterilizing people for three generations so that the population goes down. The way that he's done this is by infecting a bunch of children with a flu, claiming it's a pandemic, and then rolling out a false vaccine that will sterilize people for three generations. God, it's so, like what the QAnon people probably believe. Yes. So we've got a pandemic, anti-vax people, conspiracy theories, and he basically runs a cult where he like steals children to breed them to help him in his mission. And they're like super creepy. And he asks them all, what have you done to support this overcrowded world? What have you done today to support this overcrowded world? And one of his children is like, like, it had to have been based on Jared Kushner. I'm not kidding. It was the guy that played the 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 penguin on Gotham. And he's good. Okay. He's just creepy as hell. <laughs> and there were things I liked about this. I love Colts. John Cusack is having a really good time playing this character. <laughs> and and it's interesting and it's cool to watch and there's actually a found family uh aspect where the you know the scrappy team of misfits that finds out that they're really in the conspiracy theory and has to fight the evil and they're good and there's you know sometimes you gotta share a toblerone well dressed in a shower curtain after murdering a bunch of murderous bunnies that's uh, the thing that, that happens. Money Python reference? What right? No 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 that's the thing that actually happens. Okay. They they have to put they decide to make like hazmat suits out of really bright uh, shower curtains, and then they have to go murder all the test bunnies that are going to spread the the virus. <laughs> okay, uh, and then keep one to make sure that it 
show, this is when they still think it's a virus and then they find out that that it wasn't, that it was fake, that they're trying to that they're trying to sterilize everybody. I think it's funny that the bunnies were sort of there and it turned out to be sterilization because fuck like bunnies and all that. But anyway, um, aren't there comic books involved at some point too? Yeah. The comic book, it gets released. There's a character called, um, Jenny Hyde. No, something Hyde. And her dad, who you think is John Cusack, but then at the end of the cliffhanger ending, maybe it's not, um, is subjected her to all kinds of, flus and things and, and raised her in a basically a creepy little oversized dollhouse on the compound and she breaks out and is trained to be an assassin to try and get the truth out and there was a a comic book called dystopia that was kind of about like flus and pandemics and then there's this rumored comic book called utopia that tells the whole story of the um of the conspiracy. So and there's these some people, fantastic kind yeah, of element to it. Yeah. yeah. And, but we have to have like almost a full episode making fun of people that go to like cons and, you know, and uh, okay, Gillian, we get it. You're better than everybody else. You're cool or whatever. Uh, <laughs> there are some Gillian Flynn parts that I'm like, honey, you're just, you're not a good enough writer to be this like cynical and, and to poke, to be this mean to the people that are going to watch your shows. This is, you know, you can't do this. You're just not good enough. Anyway. All right. You have me, you definitely have me intrigued enough to go look into the UK version. Now you saw the whole season, right? Yes, I did. What is your rating? Hmm. (laughs) Nice. That's what I was feeling. All right. Yep. Nice. Cool. Definitely nice. Especially with the uh, Nelson twin um, assassins. They literally looked like <laughs> Nelson. And I'm, I am convinced that Gillian Flynn did this on purpose as a Ozzy and Harriet. Like we're trying to go back to times when, when there were less people on the earth thing. I'm absolutely convinced of it. That's hilarious. Yes. Uh, I, this is my conspiracy theory. <laughs> Okay, uh, I did watch the first episode of this season of Fargo. I'm basically calling this Trading Sons, which is, you know, like instead of trading spaces or trading places. Um, (laughs) Chris Rock is good. He's going gray. That's weird. It's all about gangsters in 1950, which means I love all the clothing. Uh, Ben Washaw is in it and... Timothy Oliphant is coming. This may have me a little longer. I like 1950s. I like the gangsters. It sort of has a Miller's Crossing feel to it that I like a lot. Um, Jesse Buckley is stupendous. She's so good. Really creepy as a nurse that I don't know what she's up to, but I don't want her sticking me with nothing. Call back to... (laughs) uh, um, Did we talk about... Yeah, the... No, I did. Oh, you did. The what's yeah. that show called? The movie called? Um, I just yeah, she was in that Netflix movie by Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, that you beginning. watched, and I can't remember what it was either. Yeah, but, but she's, great. she's great. She's really good. She's really creepy. She is one of the her character is one of the reasons I will keep watching because I want to know what the fuck is going on. Nice. I'm thinking <laughs> of ending things. That's the name of it. Yeah, that's it. Um, the. The lead character is like a teenage girl whose uh, parents, she's of 
she's a white dad and a black mom. And so she's sort of, she's very smart, but she gets in trouble at school because they think she's uppity. And she is kind of figuring out that the creepy nurse that lives across the street is maybe up to no good. And her family is, runs a, a funeral home and is about to get in trouble to Chris Rock's mob for, uh, for borrowing money because they're they can't keep their head above water and chris rock is trying to get banks to buy into the idea of credit cards so i'm gonna give it you know three more episodes have dropped so i'm gonna watch those we'll see what happens cool um i also watched an american murder when i which i talked about last week on netflix this is the true crime about the the watts the shanann watts and her daughters uh cc and Bella. I want to make sure I say all their names because they met terrible ends by uh, at the hands of their husband and father who murdered them and stuck them in oil cans on his where he worked for an oil company and then uh, first said he didn't have anything to do with it and then it then tried to say well Shanann murdered the children and I snapped and murdered her and then admitted that he'd killed them all so that he could try to avoid the death penalty. This is a really sad story. Um, What is interesting about this movie is that it is told entirely through home video uh, that Shanann and Chris, that's his name, shot themselves and body police body cams of and uh, an interview tapes. There's like, there's nothing else. There's maybe a little bit of writing to up, you know, a little bit of chirons to update you on what's happening. But in general, it is just told through text messages on the screen and footage from those places. And it's sort of fascinating and heartbreaking. <laughs> and as we're talking through this, I'm realizing we might need to revise our uh, rating system because I don't think you want to call this nice, but it sounds like nice. Or is it incredible? But either way, I, necessary viewing yeah necessary viewing i i couldn't look away from it it would be hard to call it nice yeah and it would actually be hard to call it incredible because it it is painful yeah um yeah we need like a necessary viewing is perfect we need something that says this is gonna hurt while you watch it but it's worth watching yeah and it's done well on the flip side of that, uh, A Wilderness of Errors, which I was actually looking forward to more on Netflix, is uh, sort of a re-examination of the Jeffrey McDonald case. Jeffrey McDonald, in the 60s, uh, probably murdered his family, also a wife and two children. And then uh, he was a Green Beret and a doctor, and they prosecuted him, and the army let him off. But then he was convicted by a court and then he ran away and got a new family and blah, 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 blah. He didn't kill the new family, but they caught him again. This, I think the show wants you to believe that they think he's innocent and all it's doing is convincing me more and more that he's not. I watched one episode so far. I think, I think it's five total and three have dropped and I will continue watching it. The first uh, episode is called the girl in the floppy hat. And it's called this because uh, initially Jeffrey McDonald said that a girl in a floppy hat came into his house and killed his wife and children. And then they found an Esquire magazine that had like an expose of the Charlie Manson killings. And and there was actually the word pig on the wall in somebody's blood. Right. And interestingly enough, 
Jeffrey McDonald, his wife, and his children all had different blood types, so they were able to tell who had been where. And his story just didn't add up at all. Um, okay, so the the director of this is the same guy that did the Jinx, but then it also turns out he's done a bunch of episodes of Catfish on MTV. <laughs> Tracks. With Nevin Max. And this is way more on like the catfish side where like Max and Neve are trying to do this whole gotcha thing where they, you know, you have a love interest, but the pictures are obviously stolen. The guy is not like, you know, a rapper and the girl isn't like an influencer or this super hot model. She's going to, you know, it's going to be somebody living in their house. That's I think Linda Holmes on a uh, pop culture happy hour once called uh, catfish true love or size 14. <laughs> and that's what catfish is. You know, you just wait to find out if it's actually the person or if they're fat and then they're going to get, uh, you know, thrown over thrown over for it and it's heartbreaking but let's be friends so in, i wanted robert durst burping and confessing to multiple murders in the bathroom on a live mic and i got yeah neve and max and max's teeny tiny little camera yeah, i'll probably I'll keep that. <laughs> watching but it's just I'll, i i mean i'll watch 2020 so you know <laughs> that's not saying this is definitely a it's almost a Nyx, but it's going to go not for me. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't it? watched the whole... Okay. No, I have not, so no I don't have to, to rate, rate it, it yet. No need to I'll, rate I'll get to the end. Okay. Uh, Mickey Rourke was on The Masked Singer, you guys. That is This insane. is my news for the week. First of all, I didn't know that he was alive, so... First what of do you all, mean props. you didn't know he was alive? He made something like a year ago. <laughs> Just haven't seen much from him. Wow. Okay. The Wrestler? That's the last thing I remember, but anyways... Iron Man 3 was after The Wrestler, I believe. Okay, sure. Two. Two. Whichever one where you had the fucking whip. I don't yeah. know. It was bad. I didn't like it. <laughs> so is he the first mass Singer revealed? Uh, I don't know. I just saw an article and that's all I know. Okay. I don't watch that show. It's a, it's don't a news watch bit. It. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's just a news bit. I don't watch it. I don't like it. I think he was a raccoon. I don't know. Um, we have to talk briefly about Lovecraft Country, the most recent yes, episode. Um, uh, I'm going to let you go because, yeah. So this was the this... one about Hippolyta, um, who is uh, the wife of the uncle um, that passed away in the first episode. And, yeah. Ma, uh, George. George is Yes, wife. George's name. Uh, no spoilers here, I guess. Probably not. It's, it's too do do I the best know. I can. Yeah, do the best you can. <sighs> I loved this episode. And what's funny is it was like the least, my least favorite chapter in the book because it is the most like fantasy hard sci-fi in the book because it's really about the orrery and her figuring out how to get to different doors and portals. And uh, instead of this exploration of growing into being female and to in Britain to not being small anymore and to embracing your own mind and your own power and calling out your own name and reaching out to other strong women and making that mean something and fighting back. And again, right now, wow, that spoke to me, especially, you know, a week after we, <laughs> we lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, 
I love this episode. I loved it so much. And I was surprised that I loved it because I was not expecting to, uh, simply because it was my least favorite chapter in the book. And uh, yes. what I, did you think? <laughs> I liked it. I thought the first half of it was a bit kind of just messy and like, where is this going? Um, and then when they got to uh, basically, um, you know, the Steven Universe spaceship with uh, complete with I'm forgetting the character's name with the hair, um, it I, I enjoyed it. I don't think I loved it as much as you. I think there's some element of like, I didn't even pick up on a lot of the things that you were kind of talking about watching it as a woman. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I think yeah. when I watched it, it just sort of seemed a little bit messy and all over the place to me. Um, but I, I thought the second half was fun as a person who does love the terrible, ridiculous sci-fi stuff. I was kind of into that second half of that. Um, but I, overall, again, this show just keeps surprising me and is fun and weird and Puck agrees. So Puck is um, talking about her femininity as well and exactly. telling her that it's what it's yeah. important to be a woman. Actually, I think she hears her best friend outside and would like <laughs> to go see her best friend and she's not going to get to. Yeah, um, nice. she just needs a portal. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and we did talk about this a little bit uh, when we went and had pizza instead of watching the, the presidential debate. Um, that there are things as, you know, as empathetic and, and wonderful and supportive and I will stand behind you and prop you up as you are. And of course I will stand behind you and prop you up too, whenever you need me to. But as you are, there are just things that if you haven't ever been a woman, let alone a woman in an abusive relationship, you're, you can't know. Like are there are things I can't know about your experience in life right. about feeling like I have made myself small to make your life easier. Right. And I'm not going to do that anymore. And the power in that and the freedom in that, I felt like the woman that plays Hippolyta really embodied oh, she's so that. Good. I, she is so good. Learn her and I, I loved remember, it. She's great. Yeah. I just, oh man, I, I felt this episode in a way that I kind of didn't expect to <laughs> at all. And uh, yeah, really liked it a lot. Her name is um, Anjui. A-U-N-J-A-N-U-E-L-S. That sounds very French to me, so it's so I am probably pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> she is great, though. Yeah, she is fabulous, and she was just great in this episode. And I got it, and I loved it. Nice. And I'm loving this show. I'm really proud of this show. I really, really like it. Again, I, I uh, recommend to anyone to please listen to Lovecraft Country, Ashley C. Ford, and Shannon Houston unabashedly proud black women that are, that are, un and Shannon Houston is so unabashedly proud of what she has done here. And it's wonderful. And this, I guess this was her episode that she's the main writer on. Oh, cool. So listening to her talk about this, oh, it was wonderful. It was so cool. Nice. Really, really cool. And Misha Collins, I'm proud of you. It was really good. Hey, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What'd you do? The, what, what, what did you see that I saw there? <laughs> what did I do that you saw there? Um, yeah. That. I 
finished the second season of the Hulu comedy Pen15, um, which I believe I talked about the first season a ways back. This is um, essentially two women who are in their 30s playing themselves at eighth grade, uh, acting against actual real, uh, I don't know about eighth graders, but very young actors. Um, the first season was a complete sort of just laugh kind of machine just total sort of uh you know anarchy funny all the uncomfortableness of eighth grade or seventh grade which is like the worst two years of your life um i believe maybe it's seventh grade i don't know when did they start high school in most places junior high in most places nine junior high six seventh and eighth yeah i think maybe they're supposed to be in seventh i don't know anyways uh this show these actors basically so fully inhabit this roles uh as playing themselves you kind of forget that they're 30 playing against these kids they're just so engaged the first season was so funny um but still had this sort of layered sadness kind of underneath it and that there were sort of things that were building uh the second season it was not as amazing as the first season i gotta just say it it wasn't as funny i think that first season just really just hit at all the kind of cringy stuff in just the perfect way this one leans into a little more of the sadness um it just then you kind of take yourself out of it and you're like wait why why are we doing this i don't know um you're 30 year olds like i get the sort of trauma of you know eighth grade carries forward with you but it's better when it's funny painful than it is sort of meaningful painful Uh, otherwise i'd rather just watch freaks and geeks for like a more sort of pure distillation of that sadness um but they're so good and there are a couple episodes especially towards the end where they are putting on a play and it's all about sort of the text, the stage text versus the actors, and it creates the division between as it the always characters. is. It is wonderful and funny and weird, and the cast is so great in this. And it's, I still will watch it. I like it a lot. I am assigning the second season of Pen Fifteen as a nice, where I actually would say the first season is incredible. So slight tick down, but you know that happens. Uh, I watched RBG on Hulu. I was uh, up in uh, Washington on a road trip with uh, my husband visiting his sister and her wife. Uh, We had a great time, except for a giant tree falling on the trailer we were sleeping in, but we're all okay. Um, It was fun to sit inside once we just decided we were going to sit inside and, you know, virus be damned. Uh, We watched RBG, the documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She had just passed uh, kind of shortly before we left Uh, this documentary. It's not perfect. um, But if you don't know a lot about her life and her history, see, I'm going to pull out the, uh, the new rating. I think this is necessary viewing. Um, Agreed. It has some problems in that I, it feels a little sort of hagiography sort of about her celebrity and less about her accomplishments and, and history. But also that's kind of what most of us needed as we were watching it at that time. So I'm kind of okay with that. Um, but I, I think there's probably a better, more sort of cerebral sort of documentary that really explores of all the nuances of her cases in life, it sort of rushes through that to mostly get to like pictures of her working out. And that was a little disappointing for me, but um, worth watching. Definitely. Um, Children of Virtue and Vengeance is the book by Tomi Adeyemi. It's the second of her uh, Arisha 
series. Um, it is, I talked about the first book, Children of Bone and Blood. Uh, these are sort of fantasy novels set in a fictional African country where there's magic and it's a, it's a lot like Airbender. I keep saying this where people basically have control of, you know, uh, blood and whatever and various sort of elements but it, this one sort of ups the thing where there are more uh, powers that various people have um it it picks up I, what i liked about it was that it picks up from the somewhat optimistic end of the first novel and then looks at all horrible ramifications of what that happy ending meant i do appreciate that that said i found this book to be kind of a slog and very repetitive and um i <laughs> can't say i'm super compelled to keep going on the trilogy. is there a third one yeah there's one more coming yeah. and i just the second in a trilogy is often hard yeah and now my the n rating is failing because i'm gonna say not for me right now but uh what, what's an n word that means um you know maybe next next <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh this rating trilogy Falling apart With a quickly. trilogy next makes sense. I know. And you haven't, you don't have to actually assign, I don't think you have to assign a rating until you have finished, much like a season, Fair you have enough. not finished the trilogy. Totally. If you end up not finishing the trilogy, then yes, you have to land on Not For Me. Yeah. And her writing is, it's never like annoying. It's, it's not super descriptive. I think her biggest problem still to me remains that she has really like trouble distinguishing voices of characters. I found that in the first book and this book is more of a problem. What's that? Cassandra Clare is a writer that loves her snappy dialogue, but you can't tell one character from the other. And it's, and this book, that was my Cassandra Clare cloth. This book even basically breaks down chapters by the perspective, but without those, you would never know. And that's a problem. Um, and I think it really made it hard for me to read it. And the characters are like friends and they're against each other and they're friends. And it was a little tedious. It was definitely a, a bit of a disappointment. Um, finally, I wanted to wrap up with, um, my most incredible of all incredibles this week. Uh, Prince, uh, has the, the estate has released the sign of the times deluxe edition. This is a like, I don't know, six cd or something uh thing i didn't buy it um dave keeps being like come on you're just gonna buy it i probably will why For- you, you didn't buy it <laughs> it's like a hundred and something bucks right now i'm just listening on spotify um it is amazing and i should just i'm upset it. with you actually i know i know I'm, sh- I'm also like the princess data has so much money i don't really like <laughs> well i know but this would make you happy and I you know. need things that make you happy right now but i, I bought really- an apple watch dude <laughs> buy the box set i don't really have a, like a cd player. i don't even think i have like a dvd player anymore but whatever it's all i've accessed most of this online um these songs, so it has the first kind of the two first two things are the, the classic album sign of the times, his 1987 masterpiece um, remastered. It sounds great. Um, then there are three CDs of unreleased material, a lot of which I've heard because I'm enough of a Prince nerd that um, I had a lot of this stuff already in bootleg. Terrible sound quality. It is so fun to hear them in great quality. These are a lot of songs that he did with the revolution, especially Wendy and Lisa um, sort of after uh, parade and around the world in the day. And he was in this super collaborative mode. He was also dating um, Wendy's twin sister, Susanna Melvoen. Um, so that's he, not weird. Yeah. It was a little crazy, um, but he was so 
open to collaboration and vulnerable and in a way that he really hadn't been before. And these unreleased songs really kind of pull all that out and showcase that the sad ending to this. I mean, it's not sad because we got signed in the times, which is a great album, but the sad sort of thing about it was that he basically broke up with Susanna and fired the revolution all within a very short time span because he was so, I think it freaked him out to be that vulnerable, frankly. Um, and collaborative. So it's a really interesting document of kind of like a different reality that Prince could have gone down. I want to play a song called witness for the prosecution, which is just this stompy, ravey, bluesy, rocky. I mean, it's a classic Prince track that is shocking that he like did not include this on the album. Um, It has Wendy and Lisa, you know, gospel chanting witness in the background. Um, Let's take a quick listen. That was Witness for the Prosecution. There are actually two versions of that song on the set. Uh, It's, man, if you like Prince, pick this up. It was, I I swear to God, it was the thing that made me happiest in the past year, pop culture-wise, and I'll take what I can get. So, um, all right. Anything you want to tell us? Where can they tell us, Fanny? First thing I want to say is I want to call out Andrea Stewart, your book. I am listening to it. It's beautiful. We have talked about this. This is the Bone Shard daughter, but mostly Andrea had her daughter this week. So she had two two babies this month and uh, she's beautiful. And I cannot wait to get unnaturally attached to her. And the book is also beautiful. I just wanted to say that. Nice. Much, much, much love to Andrea and John. Okay. If you want to tell me much, much love about something that we talked about tonight, you can do that at Facebook. Look for at the next, um, look for the next podcast. Uh, you can send us an email. Please send us an email because it's not evil like the rest of the stuff. Uh, motion to Nick's at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to get slightly less evil, Twitter is at the next podcast and I am at Fanny V. Darling. And I'm at Justin Hartung. That's it. We'll see you next time.